Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. All right. Welcome, everyone. I am super excited about our guest today. Uh, We are here with Jennifer Glucko. She is the author of a best-selling book called Sales in a New York Minute, CEO and founder of a company by the same name that uh, is a sales training organization. She also runs the podcast Sell or Die with Jeffrey Gittimer, which has had over 1.5 million downloads. And uh, Jen started out with Cutco many years ago as a young student. And uh, nowadays, she has made it in New York City. And her mission is to help you make it anywhere. Jen, thanks for being on. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So you grew up uh, in New Jersey, just outside of Manhattan, right? Yep. Yep. And, and and what I've heard is that your sales journey actually started when you were only six years old. <laughs> That's it, a true story. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. I used to go to the supermarket with my grandma and I thought it was like all this like wasted time because it was very boring for me to go grocery shopping as a six-year-old. And I thought, well, why not sell stuff outside the grocery store? And so one day I said, Grandma, I'm bringing my bracelets that I've made and I'm going to sell these. And she was like shocked, like, you know, who does that? And I set up like a little shop right outside the grocery store and they didn't stop me because I was this little kid. And what I learned was people didn't want my bracelets. They wanted their bracelets, meaning like I thought it was pretty in red but really their colors were red and green. And so they wanted a red and green bracelet. So what I started doing was custom making bracelets and collecting the money up front and saying, okay, I'll make it for you in red and green. Just meet me back here next week and pay now. And they would. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So um, it was a lot of fun. And my grandma would grocery shop while I sold bracelets. (laughs) Wow. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Really neat. So then, you know, years later, you found Cutco, you worked in Cutco for a summer, I guess. And uh, t- tell us about uh, what you remember from your experiences selling Cutco and any lessons that you feel like came out of it. So I was in high school and my friend told me she was interviewing for this sales job in high school. And I was like, cool, what is it? She's like, oh, you can make all this money. You sell these knives. And I'm like, knives. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what she meant by that. Like kitchen knives, what kind of knives? Anyway, so she tells me this is this great opportunity and that 
they had hired her brother and that, that she was going for the interview. And I was like, well, I'm going to go for the interview because I'm really good at selling. Like I can do that too. And so I go for the world's greatest bracelet seller by this point. Exactly. So I go to the interview and they rejected me. So they, they said they really liked me, but that I was too young. And I don't know if it was like a New York state law or what it was, but they, they said I couldn't have a job at that point in time. And so I thought about it to myself and I could have just let that like slide and figured out like other babysitting jobs and whatever to make, you know, extra cash. And I said, no, I'm going to go to a different Cutco location and try there. <laughs> and so I went to the location in Jersey and they hired me. All right. And I was like, yes. Yeah. So that was a cool lesson in itself of, you know, obviously like not giving up and not taking the first no. And it, it was definitely a sales lesson because I was selling myself essentially. And I, I walked in with the, here's why I'm not too young for you kind of, you know, spiel and they bought it. So that was pretty cool. And so I started selling knives and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Really, I had no idea how amazing the training was going to be. I had no idea how life-changing it was for me, but getting that job was a defining moment in my life because it was the first time ever that I was given real sales training. Everything I had done up until this point had been just gut and intuition and watching my mom because she was amazing at sales and, and my parents had a book manufacturing company and she did the sales. And so everything up until that point had been like hearing their com my parents' conversations and watching them and just, you know, trying things out. And now all of a sudden I'm getting this amazing sales training of, okay, here's how you get referrals. Here's how you make the pitch. Here's what you do afterwards. Here's how you change your attitude if you don't get the sale. And all of these things were just coming together. And it was like, wow, this is incredible. And so, and I, I didn't even realize at the time how big of an impact it would have on my entire career, but it wow. did. Wow. Yeah. And so I went out there and started selling knives. And what I found out very quickly was that a lot of my friend's parents, which is where I started, already had Cutco knives. Yeah. And so then I had to develop the alternative pitch for the, okay, so you already have the block with the eight steak knives, but here's why you need the ice cream scoop and all these other things that they probably didn't yet have. Right. And it you know, was another lesson in itself of like, just because they have already bought doesn't mean they don't need more. Right. You know, and, and actually if they've already bought, they probably want more because they know how great the product is. Definitely. And one of the biggest things I learned at the time was how important belief plays a role in whatever it is you're selling. So it really doesn't matter if you're selling knives or you're selling pens or you're selling mugs, if you don't believe that the product you're selling is great. Like this is two decades later, I think. Well, it's a, a long time later, right? And I can tell you that I still think they're the best knives on the planet. Now, I know this is not a commercial for Cutco. I'm not <laughs> trying to make you one, but I truly believe that. And it's decades later, right? Like someone actually called me and they're like, you know, those knives you sold me when you were in high school. I'm like, yeah. He's like, one of them finally broke and I sent it back and they sent me a new one. Can you believe it? I'm like, well, yeah, of course I can. That's what they promised. Of course I can believe it. 
<laughs> so, you know, it's just whatever it is you're going to sell, you need to have the strongest belief system in it that it's truly the best or don't go sell it at all. Yeah, that's definitely true. I feel like that's one of the great reasons why reps with Cutco are able to succeed, even though they, for the most part, have no experience is that, mm-hmm. you know, the product truly is great. And yes. it, it's so the greatness of it is so demonstrable that people can easily understand it early on, you know, as a young salesperson. And so they feel fired up to go sell it. When I was in my interview, I, I kind of thought it was weird also just you know, <laughs> looking at what the company did, but I immediately thought about my mom and like my mom was like a gourmet cook, Same. loved, loved <laughs> to cook all the time. And I thought, oh, she would love this stuff. And after I was interviewed, I went home and I peeked in her drawer and like, she had pretty crappy knives. Like we didn't <laughs> cut cup. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I thought, well, she'd be a great candidate for this. And if she would, then probably a lot of her friends would too. So that's uh, so funny. I had the same experience. Conference. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I went home and I was like, okay, mom, so you need these knives. And I did the pitch on her. Right. And so she's like, okay, great. So do you get a free set with your new job? And I was like, oh no, no, you're going to be my first customer. <laughs> 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 and she was like, what? I'm like, here's the form. I need to know how many you want. And I was just selling her and she's like, all right, I guess we're doing this now. I'm like, now, do you want to get one for me when I'm older? And she, <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so. you know, reps do get free a free sample set now. Um, and they, they, they get it loaned for free and they can buy it for like super cheap after they finish working here if they want to. But uh, when I started, and I believe when you started, we had to buy our sample kit. And I remember I asked my mom to buy the sample kit and she's like, well, you know, when when we were doing the demo, she's like, can I just keep your kit? I'm like, no, no, I'm keeping my kit. (laughs) You're buying your own. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. That's funny. There's one other part that's really cool that happened. I don't know if this is a a Cutco thing or just what my manager did, but after every sale, I would call him. And if I won the sale, obviously he was like my biggest cheerleader, you know, but if I lost the sale, he helped me reframe my mindset so that I didn't go into my next sale. Cause oftentimes I was doing it like on weekends and I was doing back to back to back appointments. And so if I lost the first sale, he didn't want that to have a domino effect on the next couple. Right. And so he would literally like reframe my mindset so that I could walk into the next sale super positive and with the assumption that I was going to close the next sale. And that's something that's really stuck with me my entire sales career as well, because it's the same thing if you're selling anything. You know, if you have Tuesdays or your selling days and you're out there and you're making six sales calls and, or you're making a hundred cold calls or you're making six, you know, in-person appointments or whatever, and you lose the first one, that can't impact the rest of them. And so what are the things you need to do to reframe your mindset? And, and he really helped set that foundation for me, which was... That's such an interesting point. It it, it echoes what another one of my guests had shared. Um, I interviewed Andrew Bosworth, who's now one of the biggest guys at Facebook. And um, he's one of the top executives there. And he, he was a Cutco rep for two summers, worked with me. He said one of the greatest lessons he learned was the direct correlation between attitude or mindset and results. Yes. And it wasn't results that caused attitude. It was attitude that caused results. He, he saw this direct correlation that that it was one-to-one attitude yep. 
caused results and it was 100 percent maintain that correct mindset yeah um I'm, i'm sure that's something that you are teaching people these days about you know how to maintain the correct mindset even when uh there's some adversity or there's some challenges and and uh I'd be interested in hearing your take on, you know, how does somebody maintain the right mindset when they are experiencing any sort of challenges in their business? Yeah. So it begins with your morning foundation. And just before we got on this interview, we were talking about our our mutual friend, Hal Elrod, who created the Miracle Morning. And so I truly believe that you need to follow a routine like his. I, I follow his. Uh, every morning to set the right foundation for your thoughts and your attitude. And so you have a morning routine, but then you need strategies for in the moment. So like what happens if you lose the sale or the, the, the deal you've been working on for months just fell apart or you get into a fight with your friend or your spouse or whoever, right? And how do you maintain that consistent attitude? And so... Some of the things I help people with are finding their attitude, what I call attitude antioxidants, like their things that will really keep their attitude fresh. Like Mm -hmm. for, for me, it's meditation. Okay. I might step away for 10 minutes, whether it's I go to my car or I... I live and work in the same building. So maybe sometimes I'll go home to my meditation couch, as I call it, because it's really all I do there and meditate for 10 minutes. I like to use the Headspace app, but that 10 minutes of silence allows you to reframe your focus and to really start to think about positive things. Also, it's about the scroll. You know, on Instagram, people are scrolling all day long and they really forget how much that shapes you. Like you see someone that pissed you off five years ago and you're like, oh, that person's so annoying. Mm. Or you see something negative and, and you don't realize how much it affects your thoughts. And so it's, you know, you need to be much more intentional now about how you use social media. And are you looking at things that are positive and creating positive thoughts versus like dramatic things that really aren't going to help you further your career or your business? And so there's things like that of, you know, creating your own quiet time. For some people, they need to go on a walk and get fresh air, pet a dog, be intentional with Instagram or the, you know, whatever social media platform you use, those kinds of things. God, that's such a good insight that the scroll. I think yeah. about, you know, my own self sometimes if I feel like I'm in some downtime where I'm, I'm, I, I'm trying to relax for a while or not do anything for a few minutes, sometimes I'll just sit on my couch and in, in my office and, you know, with my phone and, and I'll want to read something and, you know, maybe I'll read about, you know, something related to sports or, or sometimes I might actually click on my social media and, and then there I am, I'm doing the scroll. Right. And, and you get lost in it. And if I'm doing the scroll, I'm not in control of my environment. I'm putting myself in a position where I could see stuff that's not going to contribute to my day. And, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes like you're right. Like sometimes you see something from somebody you haven't seen for five years and it just brings you some <laughs> kind of negative memory. You yes. Know? Yes. And it's the same thing with news feeds as well. People like aimlessly scroll through news feeds. But most of the news is negative. People don't report on all the positive, amazing things happening in your town. They report on the crappy things that are going on. And so why would you want to feed your mind fat? It's literally like what you're feeding your mind and your soul is going to come right back out of you. Yeah. Wow. That's a great insight. Awesome. (laughs) So after Cutco, you went to college, you went to Washington University in St. Louis. Is that correct? Yep. That's correct. Okay. And then what did you do first after college? 
So I had worked all four years in college uh, in the IT department, and then I worked my way up through that. It was like a student-run program where eventually I was managing 200 students who worked at the school. And I feel like a big reason why I was given that responsibility was actually the work ethic that I created while I was at Cutco. It really taught me you know, how to manage various aspects of both life and um, uh, work time. And so, because I was going to school and working, right. And so this was the same situation in college every year. I worked more and more by my senior year. I was working like, um, 30 hours a week, 35 hours a week and attending classes. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was a lot of fun. It was great experience. And they wanted me to stay in St. Louis, but I needed to move back to New York. And, you know, I was just so ready. So I traveled for a couple of months because I figured that would really be the only time in my life where I could have downtime to travel. Because if you get a job, no one lets you take off for a few months. It's right. unheard of. And so that really opened my eyes to new experiences. I tried every food you can imagine. Some were great. Some were ne- I would never eat again. Where did you uh, visit? I went all over Europe and I went to Australia as well. Oh, neat. Yeah. So I went, I started in Sydney and went up the coast to Cairns, which is like a beach city. It's almost like Chicago beach and city. And then from there I went all over Europe and it was just amazing to be able to see the world. And so after that, I got a job and I worked at an educational software company for six and a half years. And I was everything from started out as an admin assistant. Actually, I worked with a recruiter to get the job. And I told him I had two requirements for the job he was going to find for me. And he told me that no one had ever had these requirements before. (laughs) So my two requirements were, number one, I need to work for smart people. And number two, I need to be at a place where there's opportunity for growth. Right. And they seem so logical to me, but like he had said, like, no one has ever wanted like that. Like, I was like, you don't understand. I cannot work for stupid people. Like, (laughs) so then he calls me up. He's like, I think I found the right job for you. The two founders are Rhodes Scholars. Like, (laughs) okay, requirement number one down. And he's like, and there's a lot of room for growth. I was like, all right, I'll believe it when I see it. And sure enough, there was. And I started out as the CEO's uh, executive assistant. And worked my way up to, they allowed me to sell eventually like 20% of my time. And I was selling more than some of the salespeople who had full-time sales jobs. So the the VP of sales was like, well, now you have to come into sales. You know that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I went into selling, eventually became a sales manager, managed a 10-person team across the nation, and then managed, I was second in charge of the entire sales division, which had three different teams, sales operations, budgeting, all that. And what I didn't realize at the time, I was under 30 years old and I was creating these like profit and loss statements and budget reports and predictions. And I had no idea we had, we had just recently sold to News Corp. And I had no idea that the stuff that I was putting together was soon to be affecting like our stock price. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> You're leaving this up to me? Who am I? You know? And so it was really crazy the amount of responsibility I was able to take on before I left the company. It was, it was amazing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, so tell us about the journey from, from that to what you're doing now. Okay. So 
eventually, after six and a half years, I, I well, really even a little bit sooner, I realized that the company I was with had grown from like 150 people to 1,500 people and just really changed. And I realized that that kind of environment was no longer for me. And but I didn't know exactly what I wanted. I knew from like a very young age, I was always going to own my own business. But if you asked me in what, I never could, I, I didn't know. And I decided that I was really good at helping people make sales. Mm-hmm. I was really good at training people and teaching them how to sell and giving them confidence and belief and all the things that you need to be a great salesperson. And I figured there has to be a business in this someplace, but what is it? And so I decided to quit my job and start a business training people all across the world into how to be better salespeople. Mm -hmm. And then I became a chicken and decided that it was too scary to start my own business because there's all these what ifs. I have a really nice salary right now and a really nice income. What if I don't make all that money? What if I can't survive? What if it's no good? What I mean, I could give you all the fears in the world. So I took a job for someone else. And within 90 days, I I remember it was Thanksgiving. I'm in Florida at my parents' house. And I come downstairs. We're sitting around the kitchen table. And I'm like, okay, so on Monday, I'm going to quit. They're like, what? And I'm like, I'm flying back early. I'm walking to the office on Monday. I'm going to give two weeks notice. I had only been there 90 days. I'm going to give my notice and I'm going to quit and start my own company because quite honestly, it's what I should have done before I took this job. Right. (laughs) And um, that weekend I called our like family attorney. I called my CPA. I called all the people I would need in my business to really get it up and running. And by Monday, I had the paperwork filed. I had everything done that you need to do to start a business. And it was like, why did I allow those 90 days? Why did I allow that fear to creep in? You know, I don't know, but I did. And it's just, it's a huge risk when you make that jump from stability to entrepreneur. Right. You know? And so, but it's the, that was about six years ago and it's the best thing I've ever done. That's fantastic to hear. What, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people listening who have a, a mind to be an entrepreneur one day and are going to face that same challenge, that same decision of, you know, do I leave the tried and true job that I've been, you know, working at for a few years here and make this jump? Or do I take a job that, you know, has this tried, tried and true sort of security, right? Or do I do something on my own? What advice would you have for people about overcoming any hesitancy to do their own thing? Write down your beliefs. So like at the beginning, we were talking about how much I believed in the Cutco product. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that whatever product and service that you're going to offer that it's going to help the person buying it tremendously. You have to believe that you're going to be able to help them better than the next guy and that they're going to be better off having worked with you. And so if you can formulate those beliefs and really believe in them, then you're on the right path. And so, because that's the biggest, most important thing. Like if you don't believe in yourself, then you're going to have a really hard time transferring that message of whatever it is you're selling to the potential buyer because they're not going to believe in you. And so you really have to have that strong foundation with your beliefs and then just go for it. Like, I bet you can do it. Just go for it and surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with people who are positive, who have the right attitude. Surround yourself with 
people who are going to be supportive of what you're doing. If people are telling you that you're crazy, you're probably on the right track, but you don't want to keep listening to them. (laughs) (laughs) No, you've got to find the the people that will encourage you and that will support you when there's a down day that the ones that, that will say, Hey, no worries. You've got this. And you know, let's talk about how to move forward here versus the people that are going to be the ones that are like, I see, I told you so. Exactly. And I'm in this coaching group with a bunch of other digital entrepreneurs. And the thing I see time and time again with the people who are like the most successful at what they're doing is they don't give up. So the first time they launch it, it may not go the best. The second time they launch it, they've learned some lessons and it goes a little bit better. But doesn't always go the best. I mean, there's this one girl in the group who's launched the same thing eight or nine times. And finally, she's on track to have a million dollar business. But most people would give up on the third or fourth time and say, well, oh, I better go back and get a job. This is not meant for me. And so your mindset needs to be that you're going to keep going no matter what. You have to figure out, obviously, like how to bootstrap it or how to have enough income in the meantime to get through that. But if it fails at first, just keep failing forward. Just keep learning from those lessons, um, from those whatever's happening and make them and turn them into lessons rather than get bogged down by them. God, that's such a good insight. Just uh, the idea of continuing to fail forward, that uh, every failure is uh, certainly is a lesson. And it's important for us to be able to gather up what are the learnings from that and, and apply those to the next effort so that we can are more likely to succeed in exactly. the next effort. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what are some of the challenges that you see for salespeople or for sales managers uh, that you help them overcome? Oh, (laughs) so everything from like the logistics of selling, like how do I close the sale? How do I earn referrals? How do I get more deals to actual foundational stuff, which I think most people gloss over. So most people don't take the time to identify their limiting beliefs, to identify the things that are holding them back, whether it's holding them back from becoming an entrepreneur, holding them back from making enough cold calls or sales pitches, whatever it may be. And so I help them overcome, like, first of all, you need to identify what are your limiting beliefs and then how do you overcome them. And I just think that most people don't take the time to do the inner work that it takes to be successful. They want to learn the mechanics. Like everyone comes to me and asks me, okay, how do I close more sales? Well, I can tell you when to ask for the sale. I can give you sales strategies on that. 100%. Okay. There, there are strategies, but once you learn the strategies and you repeat them over and over again, and you practice them over and over again, the next level of growth really comes from growing yourself, your personal development. Mm, That is an amazing insight, Jen. And I really appreciate hearing that. It, It really jives well with the way I feel like I've always run my Cutco organization where when there have been events where we're teaching stuff, it's, it's a balance between teaching technical skills and mm-hmm. teaching mental traits. And it's always yes. like at least a 50-50 balance where I feel like a lot of sales managers uh, are like 100% you know, uh, technical skills and 0% mental traits or maybe 90-10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I just feel like the mental side is so critical. You, you have to have that if people are going to succeed. Well, yeah. I mean, your thoughts create your reality. And so if you think you're going to win the sale, 
it's probable that you're going to win the sale. But if you go into it thinking, well, I've lost this one, or I'm going to lose this one, or I lost the last one, so I'm going to lose this one too. This guy's not going to buy from me. They're not going to buy from you. Yeah. Because your thoughts create your actions. And then, so how do you change your thoughts to improve them to become more positive? And so I think it is way more mental than people even realize especially for an entrepreneur or salesperson, how do you get out of that slump and how do you stay positive when you may have lost the last three deals or you may not have won or hit your goals in in whatever respect you're wanting to. And so you have to create those ways. It's a lot of what I talk about in my program. I have a program for entrepreneurs called Cash Flow to CEO where I help entrepreneurs create consistent cash flow so that they can become the CEO of their dreams and, you know, create the financial freedom they're hoping for. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I always start off with the thoughts piece and the, the mental piece. And I get people email me and they're like, can I skip this piece? Cause I just want to get into the sales skills. It's like, <laughs> sure, you can skip this piece. It's not going to help you to skip it, but you know, <laughs> that's up to you. Um, Another big thing I talk about is networking because people are scared of networking. I was in New York and I wanted to just meet new people and, and I hadn't started my business yet. And I just wanted to meet new people and figure out what was going on in the entrepreneurial world. And I took this Groupon tennis class and I met this guy and his wife uh, playing tennis. And the, the guy Conrad invited me to a networking meeting. And his first like 10 invitations, I turned him down. I don't know. I made up an excuse every single time that it's amazing that he kept (laughs) asking me if I would go to his networking meeting. And so by the 11th or 12th time, I was like, all right, all right, I'll check this thing out. It's 6.30 in the morning, but I will be there. And I went and there were 100 people in the room. Every single person stood up and gave their commercial. I got this big roster booklet with everyone's name and what they did. And I started like, making marks next to all the people I wanted to meet after the meeting. And all of a sudden I realized, okay, so if you're in sales or you're trying to grow a business and you go to these networking meetings, now you can create this community around you where you can get referrals. So it's not just like going to the person's house and selling them knives and then saying, okay, well, so who else do you know that could use these knives and having them give you a few names? But now you're in a room with, you know, let's say a hundred other people. And if you join the group, it's a hundred other people who want to help you grow your business. Right. The power of networking is really incredible when it's done right. Yeah, that that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, one of my uh, Cutco colleagues who actually lives out your way, he wrote a book and I remember him offering a quote in the book about networking. And he said, networking is not about what others can do for you. It's about what you can do for others. Yeah. You have that, 100%. Mindset, that mindset of adding value to your networking group in order to be able to build those relationships. Yeah. So I always talk about giving first without any expectation and what you give around comes back around. So like when you give something to someone else, whether it's a business idea or a referral or a connection, it may not come back directly to you from that person. But if you're a giver and you go in with the mindset of being a giver and you give all the time without expectation, eventually it's going to come back to you. So one of my best networking buddies, this guy, Jim Ewing, he sells promotional products in New York City. He's one of the best networkers I know. Well, what makes him one of the best networkers 
is that he's always connecting you with people. So he listens to your commercial. He listens to what you're looking for, what you're hoping for. And he's like, okay, I know this person and you guys need to meet. And oftentimes he'll set up a three-way lunch where he's, you know, introducing two people and he has lunch with them. And both people feel like in a way they owe him something because they're so grateful Mm. for his time and his, his desire to make that connection. And it's just really cool because the business comes back to him tenfold just by him making these referral connections. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a really cool, cool story right there. I love to hear that. Fantastic. What about uh, from a sales management perspective? Is there a particular challenge or opportunity you see for those who are teaching people about sales to be able to improve and be better at what they do? Yeah. So really figure out what your sales rep is going through. Oftentimes the best salesperson becomes the sales manager, which is not necessarily in my opinion, the right way to do it. But that's what happens at a lot of big companies, right? Like you were number one. So now what's next? Okay. You're a sales manager. But the the management skill is a lot different than the selling skill. And right. so if you want to be a really great manager, you need to start investing. Like when I became a sales manager, I didn't get management training. I gave it to to myself. I literally went to the bookstore. I bought 10 different books on sales management and I read different chapters from each one. Now you can listen to podcasts. Now you can get advice online. There's so many ways to get sales management advice, but make sure you're taking time for yourself every day. Like I would take 10 minutes in the morning every single day to work on becoming a better sales manager. And part of that is not just like, holding your reps accountable and finding out like how many calls they made and whatever, because that's, that's easy. You can look at a number, you can whatever, but it's figuring out a way to inspire your people through great stories, through success stories, through all different kinds of shares or strategies or tips, like really giving them daily inspiration and then letting them know that you're there to help them. Like when I became a sales manager, I never looked at my job as now I'm their manager. I looked at my job as now I'm their coach. And so how would a coach coach on the basketball field, on the basketball court, or how would a coach coach on a baseball field, right? What would they do to get their people to the next level? And that's really what you want to do as a, as a sales manager is inspire and educate and help and figure out how you can remove those roadblocks so that your people can be the best salespeople on the planet. Oh, that's outstanding. That's, that's great advice that I feel like uh, a lot of the uh, young Cutco managers can certainly take to heart and as well as really anybody that runs any sort of sales organization. So okay. I appreciate that. That was awesome. We host uh, the podcast with Jeffrey Gittimer. Yes. Um, Jeffrey is well known as one of the most famous people in the sales training industry. At least he has been for many, many years. Yeah. I know that uh, 10 years ago, I wrote a book with John Berghoff, John Rulin, Hal Elrod, and a number of others. And we asked Jeffrey to write the foreword. (laughs) Our book's called Cutting Edge Sales, by the way. And we we had Jeffrey write the foreword for it. Uh, I'm just wondering if you could offer a couple nuggets that uh, you have gleaned from, uh, you know, working so closely with Jeffrey over the years. So uh, if you're not familiar with Jeffrey, he wrote The Little Red Book of Selling, which is the most sold sales book of all time. Yeah. And the sales Bible, which is a bigger, thicker, a lot more stuff. Yep. Yeah. And he just came out with a new book. So his book and my book came out on January 1st of this year. 
his is called the sales manifesto. Mine is sales in a New York minute. So they're like side by side on the shelves, which is pretty cool. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyway, one of the biggest things I've learned from Jeffrey is he has an ability to talk to everybody. And what I mean by that is he makes it like a game. So we'll be in the elevator in New York City where no one talks to anybody, okay? You press your floor and you look straight ahead <laughs> at the doors or you look at your phone, okay? But Or you look at the TV in the elevator, but like no one like engages in conversation with other people. And he does. And he finds a way within that elevator ride to make them laugh. And ask him if he'd always done that. And I think that over time, he's gotten really good at figuring out a way to make people laugh in a really short space of time. And so that's been cool. And like when I first moved to Charlotte, we were in the grocery store together and he was taking his cart and driving it down the the aisle. Like he was driving it down the lane, but driving it down the the grocery aisle. And he'd be like, like he was going to like bump into somebody else. And I'm like, what are you doing? Do you know them? And he's like, no, I don't know them. And he'd just say hi to everybody. And I'm like, what is going on? And then over the last five years, as I've spent more and more time with him, I noticed that some of those connections that he's made that have been like totally cold connections, just by like being funny or having fun and talking to everybody, he's met some of the coolest people on the planet. I wow. mean, like, you know, when I get on a airplane, I usually put my headphones on. I like try to do everything I can to signal to the person sitting next to me that I don't want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Like just, I'm in my cocoon now, so I'll be here, okay? And my Bose noise-canceling headphones come on. And he just like starts conversation with the person next to him. I can't even tell you how many people he sat next to on airplanes that have either become lifelong friends or clients. And wow. it's and, and all because he legitimately talks to everybody. So I've tried to adopt that concept in my life. I will tell you, as growing up in the New York area, talking to people in elevators may never be my thing, but, <laughs> but I am getting better at just talking to random strangers. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, a lot of people are extroverted and this kind of stuff comes easy. I, I feel like I'm more introverted, Same. Um, but I try, I try to do what you described about Jeffrey. I, I think it helps us come out of our comfort zone a little bit more. And mm-hmm. yeah, there are a lot of opportunities that come our way. So totally. um, I'll teach you my favorite elevator line, Jen. And it's okay. like, you're in a quiet elevator, right? Like it's a high rise building. So it's, you know, 20, 30, 40 seconds going up. Nobody's saying anything, right? I'll just go, are you guys always this talkative? <laughs> I like it. And I then, like yeah, it. Usually everybody laughs and then <laughs> That's you, know, good. You, you follow up with something else. So that's a good one. <laughs> try that one. Take, take that one to the bank. I like it. Um, tell us about your book, Jen. And, uh, you know, yeah, like- so it's called Sales in a New York Minute, and it's 212 pages of real-world, easy-to-implement strategies to make more sales, build loyal relationships, and make more money. So that's what everyone wants to do, right? Yeah. And yeah. so uh, 212, 212 pages is uh, very strategic. Uh, for those of you who are not from New York, New York it's area, the area code, <laughs> but it's also the boiling point of water, which I equate to like the boiling point of sales. Mm. And there's a couple of bonuses about it, but basically every page or two is a different strategy and they're really quick reads. So they're meant to be, you know, you can pick this up and in 
two minutes, uh, you can have a full-blown sales strategy that you're like, wow, okay, I got to go implement that one. And it comes with, when you get the book, you get a free download of my Implementor, which is my implementation mentor guidebook. It's like a workbook, but I think that name's boring. And so (laughs) I named it The Implementor. And it basically tells you how to implement a lot of these strategies in your life to be more successful. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. So there's lots of bite-sized nuggets that people can take. Exactly. Yeah, that's really awesome. So we'll we'll definitely uh, have a link in our show notes that uh, people can use to go get your book. And uh, I hope that uh, a lot of our listeners do pick that up and and take it a listen. Thank you. Uh, So, hey, listen, I want to be respectful of your time here. I know uh, we're uh, winding down. The theme of this podcast is changing lives, selling knives. It's all about people that sold Cutco and are now, you know, changing the world through their work, through their influence. As you look ahead in your career and and in your life, uh, how do you aspire to change people's lives through what you're doing? So my passion and my goal in life is to help salespeople and entrepreneurs create financial freedom. And I do it one step at a time, a little bit every single day by giving out free value all over social media, my podcast, my book, and my program, Cashflow to CEO. If you're interested in learning more, you can go to... I'll give you a link to put in the show notes, but they can get a, um, a link to my webinar, Three Secrets to Creating Consistent Cashflow, and it's free. And it, I'm doing it live actually in a couple of weeks. So I'll, I'll give you the link to send out. Yeah, that's fantastic. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to be with me here today. Uh, I feel like a lot of good nuggets have come out of this and there's going to be a lot of great stuff. I feel like uh, this is also like the tip of the iceberg. Like we need to do this again. Yes, and, uh, this is so fun. <laughs> a lot, a lot more of, uh, of the goods that you have to offer to the uh, Cutco Vector community of reps and alumni. So listen, Jen, I I just want to say thank you very much. Uh, You're clearly somebody who is extremely talented and wise and has uh, developed a lot of great skills and has a lot of great experiences and a lot to offer the world. And I I appreciate you taking the time to to share stuff with, uh, with my audience here today. It's been my pleasure. So thank you. All right. Outstanding. Jennifer Glucko, everyone. I trust that you enjoyed that. I thought there was a lot of great stuff that came out of that. Of course, uh, Jen describing the amazing training she got during her time with Cutco. And I think it's so important that no matter what we're doing, that we're in a place where we're getting teaching from people that's relevant for what we're trying to do in our business and in our life. She talked about the importance of your mental attitude. And I love where she referenced her attitude antioxidants that she teaches people and having a morning foundation strategies in the moment for handling adversity and challenge. In terms of being an entrepreneur, the concept of belief in your own offering, right? That if you believe in what it is that you're offering to people, then you realize, well, that I can sell this. I believe this. I I believe in this. I can sell this. It's like when we all learned how to sell Cutco, we knew we could do it because the product was so good. Well, if you have value in what you're trying to offer people as an entrepreneur, in your business, then there's something that you can, it's something that you can sell to others and you're more likely to succeed. Surrounding yourself, of course, with the right people that, that will enable you to continue failing forward and, and moving ahead. Um, and then, of course, the, the concept of networking and what you give around comes back around. I thought that was helpful and relevant as well. Really cool stuff. I'd encourage you to pick up Jen's book 
and check it out. And uh, she's definitely somebody I'm sure we'll have back on here in the near future. So thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.